Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Sans Pants Radio, Australia's most five-thumbed podcast network. Hey everyone, welcome to Bookish. I'm George Demarellis. This is the show where we ask you what's your story and what does it say about you. Today on the show we have a comedian and radio host. You grew up here in Melbourne, but you've spent a lot of time in the UK. Um, Johnny Katz, how you doing Johnny? Good man, thanks for having me George. No problem, glad to have you on. How you feeling? What's up? What's, what's been happening? Uh, I'm feeling good man. I mean, I just, uh, it, when you sent me the challenge of coming on and, and talking about one of my favourite books... Um, yeah, it was uh, nostalgic, so thank you for that, because I went back and, and, and dug up a book that uh, I fell in love with years ago, which was like an introduction to me to physics and quantum physics and, and relativity, and, and by no stretch of the imagination, it was written for uh, layman people like myself, um, so it was a wonderful journey to go over that book again, and, and I just, yeah, relive those moments why I fell in love with those topics. Nice, yeah. Well, what, what your book for today is? Uh, it's called The Fabric of the Cosmos, and it's written by someone called Brian Green, who's a physicist uh, as much as he is a wonderful, uh, eloquent talker on um, physics, but dumbing it right down, removing the mathematics and making it easy to understand and making you fall in love. It's very difficult to not fall in love with what he has to say about the universe and in particular quantum physics and so forth. Yeah, this is like, it's funny because it's such a different field, obviously, to <laughs> right now what you do with comedy and stuff like that it's just a whole it's just a passion right yeah it's it's completely a hobby um yeah it's completely a hobby like i don't know i always yeah i would love to like i will i'm not going to say this i will end up learning algebra um when i get older in my <laughs> retirement like that would be yeah absolutely it's, when you say algebra isn't algebra like everything is algebra like one plus one does that count is that algebra no no, algebra is like 1 plus A equals 2A. Okay. And then <laughs> That's not what that a. is, but... Yeah. It's, um, it's Didn't you learn any of that stuff in school? I did, and I did enjoy it, I must admit, but um, not to go over it too much, but basically algebra is one of the fundamental tools in the toolbox for a physicist and a mathematician to understand what's going on in the universe. Algebra transcends all these codes of uh, architecture, biology, uh, mathematics, physics, everything. So basically they're like, if you want to learn, this is from a podcast I listened to that said, if you want to learn uh, physics and anything like that, get a good grounding in algebra. It all emanates, it's the root of all. It right. It all stems from that. But it's not, 
it's it's that's if you want to get like I don't know. I I I I think algebra like that sort of stuff. Use don't get me wrong. Clearly, hugely useful for people in the industry who want to be like who are actually doing the actual like nuts and bolts stuff. But in terms of the story and knowing it all, I just don't think it's that as as if it's that relevant. Then you know what I mean? Well, no, like, it's, it's in, a deeper. You get a deeper understanding. Like for example, um, E equals M C squared, right? Mm-hmm. Um, energy and mass are the same thing. You can get energy and turn it into mass, and you can get mass and turn it into energy. But the C squared component, if you learn algebra, you can move that around to get energy on its own, to get mass on its own. Yeah, I guess. But like, I mean, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I I have this is actually reminding me of something. I so I I studied finance in university, so I know basics of finance and stuff, and microeconomics and economics in general. So even with how markets work, I've because I, I worked in a bank, I know some of how that works in terms of like shares and how they trade and the differences in how like different deltas and gammas and all that stuff but none of not in extreme detail and i'm not really like i like finance for the story side like as in the it's interesting seeing how much of history is based on it and all that stuff you know mm. what i mean so and that side doesn't really need you to know how to do derivative trading to like ridiculous detail you just got to kind of know what it is you got to know what a gamma and alpha and blah 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 is in terms of like but you don't need to know more than that Mm. So that's why I'd see be like the same with like algebra and physics. I'd be like, yeah, you got to know what it is just so you kind of get it. But it's not really relevant unless you're in there. I don't know, in the coal face, <laughs> like in the coal mine, right? Otherwise, yeah, I just like the story. Yeah, absolutely. The story's fantastic. Um, but if I could have a little bit of a better, deeper understanding of the algebra, I could combine the two, marry the two, and have a deeper understanding of it all. They say. Um, physics, uh, well, Brian Greene said it himself. He goes, I can only take you so far uh, if you do have the time to actually learn the equations and manipulate them like a mechanic, move them from left to right, you actually understand on a deeper level. The fundamental nature of mm-hmm. how it's all connected. But like I said to you, you know, that's something in retirement because it's going to be a huge undertaking. Because, you know, I, I work, I've got a stand-up career. Um, I've got, yeah, so it's very difficult. I've finished work, I come home. I get ready for my gig. I go through my material. I've written a play, which I've talked to you about. I want to get that done. Algebra is something of, you know, something in the future. But it's great. I, I think it's not a bad thing. I think it's a beautiful thing because I'm, I'm always looking, oh, I'm going to do that one day. The same time when I was a kid, I watched Eddie Murphy Delirious and I'm like, I'm going to fucking do that one day. Yeah. But not now because I'm in primary school. <laughs> you get in trouble for swearing like that and those kind of racial slurs. Well, that was back. That was... That was the 90s, right? You could do that all day. Well, yeah, I was a product of my environment. Back then, Eddie Murphy was king. <laughs> was. Delirious was like fucking king. I remember Delirious, the VHS tape, went in the machine, and I was beside myself. I was too young to understand the content, but my brother, who was seven years older, and all his mates were older, they were just fucking glued and mm. mesmerized. And I'm like, wow, look at that power. Mm. What, what is happening in this room right now? They're all fixated. Oh, really? And I fell in love with um, his mannerisms and his energy um, and his, yeah, his coolness. And I had no idea what the material was. So, yeah. Yeah, the delivery. Yeah. Like his presence was what you were, like, loving. In awe of. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting because, like, uh, from seeing you on stage, uh, you're probably not quite that's not the style of comedian you are, I would say, mm. in a way. Not in a bad way. Everyone's different styles. Everyone's different, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, was that a, uh, I guess, I mean, everyone says you've got to be whatever you are. Did you 
fall into what you were or did you kind of like never aspire? You were like, no, nah, that's not me, but I want to do comedy and I want to have my own version of the presence like that. I tried to be many different types of comedians when I started out, but then it wasn't until I got to the 12th year of my comedy did I realize that just melt and be, be what, what, whatever comes out. So I just relaxed and there were moments where I would come off stage and people would say, oh, you sound really ethnic. Or I'd get telephone calls at the studio going, you sound really woggy. Are you, do you look as woggy as you sound? And I would try and change my voice and all that and not be so woggy. But then I got to the stage where I'm like, ah, oh, fuck it. I, I am a wog. I do sound like a wog. I just, I don't do, I don't think I do wog comedy, so I'm just going to just do what I do. And I'm like, actually, you know, I like to talk about physics sometimes, but then I like to talk about mushrooms, so I'm just going to do it. Fuck it. Because uh, I've come too far. When you've come too far, you sort of don't care what, um, you don't have to pander anymore. You've come too far to A, give up, and B, concentrate on fitting into a certain mold for a certain audience. Right, so you're saying this like the amount of time you've sunk in, you're not gonna you're not gonna stop now, but you're also yeah. not gonna you're not you're gonna stop trying to pander yeah. to a certain demographic. For example, when I was a younger comedian, uh, I got my break on Nova FM, and around that time, I was constantly aware of who was in the crowd to craft material to get onto Channel Ten and so forth. And but now I wouldn't do that. I would just do what's on my mind that I want to do. Yeah, I'm not gonna. Yeah, I'm not going to facilitate a certain crowd. And a mm. lot of times I, to, to do that, I started sitting on a stool. Um, okay. Because that was a physicalization of me performing for myself and not standing for them. So that reminded me, okay, I'm doing this for me now. Mm. Um, right. Well, yeah, because there was a while where, you know, you've got to develop material and you're dying and just to get to the jokes, they say. and But anyway. Well, I think that's part of the craft is learning that even then to then throw it away. Yes. Sort of. Yeah. Um, the, it's interesting to say, because I guess uh, for some background for people uh, listening, you're, you are ridiculously, I reckon you're, you are top notch as a comedian, actually. Like you're one of the Thank better, you. like as in, you, obviously you've done it now for how many years now is it? 19 years 19, today. 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 Oh, I feel special. Yeah. At 18th of July, 2002 at the Corner Hotel in Richmond with Wayne Deacon going, yeah, come down. Just don't fucking die, mate. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> well, congratulations. Thanks, 19 man. years. Yeah. Well, look, you, you seem like someone who's like, that's the kind of experience that you bring to the stage, I think. <laughs> I mean, I saw you, what, two, three weeks ago? When we, oh, I was probably longer than that um, at that. What's the gig upstairs? King's the, Outdoor. King's Outdoor, yeah. yeah, yeah. And that was, you fucking destroyed. That was a good gig. <laughs> that, was, that was wild. I, can't, I, can't, I haven't seen an audience. Whew, that was something. You've absolutely destroyed. Like, I, they lifted the roof. That was amazing. Thank you. Um, I do think you've, and it also it's funny you saying that because you're doing your own thing. Because I reckon, and this might be, I don't even know if you're going to like this. But I feel like what's interesting about you is you kind of do the cheesy stuff i guess like if you want to call it cheesy some of your material but like then you go off into a really interesting and weird direction really often like it starts off almost like a classic comedy premise yeah. a lot of the time but then you you take it in an interesting different way which i really like so yeah yeah it's funny you're saying that yeah thank you i often feel like uh that's uh that's the process especially doing a lot of mainstream audiences I, it has to sound relatable in the beginning and when i get their trust i can then take a left and go off on, on a tangent into an area that 
if I began like that, they would be like, what's he doing? This is weird. Right. So it's a proper conscious choice when you're structuring the stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Get them, get them on side first, make it relatable, get them in and then go off. Like, yeah, get them to like talk about airlines and then go off. Yeah. And then go get into the mushrooms. Because <laughs> that's the other one. You seem to like, and then you'll, and then you'll do it again with a new bit. You'll be like almost, ah, oh, now it's something you relate. And then now we're going to go weird with it again. Yeah. 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 Right. Um, I grew up with a lot of, I cut my teeth in mainstream crowds, very much so, especially in England. Um, lots of stag parties, lots of Hindus, lots of comedy clubs that are just, yeah, just mainstream gigs. I wasn't doing the alternative circuit in London pretty much at all. I did the black circuit. I did a few tours of the black circuit. What's the black circuit? It's um, just uh, black audiences. Really? Um, yeah, mainly black audiences only, predominantly black crowds, like 90%. They don't like whimsy. They don't like pandering. They just like direct stuff, like set up and punch, no fucking about. All right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's how it's you, interesting. How'd you fall into that? Um, well, you, I just did a few good gigs in London. A couple of black comics saw me and they go, hey, you'd be really good for the black scene. Come down to Stratford on a Monday night and do 10. And I did 10 in Stratford, which is uh, East London. And that went well, and then um, yeah, sure enough, I did another one, another one, and all right, yeah, and then I started to work it out. I'm like, oh wow, this is very set up and punch, mm. um, as opposed to other gigs where you can take your time and be more whimsy or artistic, and mm. Mm. so it's a different. It's a good muscle to build, or yeah, absolutely. Well, that's what that's what England taught me. It, vers- it built me. I, I gained versatility. That's why it didn't make me funnier. I just think I learned to be versatile because you would do a, a Bucks party on a Saturday night and then a Silver Fox cricket club on a Sunday night and then a black crowd on a Monday night. So you got three different ways to sell your material. Mm. You can be direct, more direct with the black crowd. And then on the Silver Foxes, you can't just go straight into the swearing and re- you, you got to serve it creatively that's good yeah that's a good muscle uh, and uh why did you come back <laughs> i came back um i was there for 10 years and i came back because uh i've got a strong bond with family i mean, it's just a good greek boy i think um yeah i missed my family i had a fiance at the time who was from melbourne and she was like desperate to come back and i just felt it was the right time to come back yep. it, it was a time where i just missed so much. I missed backyards. <laughs> I missed blue sky. I missed barbecues. England is fantastic. It's got so many beautiful things going for it, but it doesn't have those three things that I mentioned. Yeah, much of <laughs> anyway. Yeah, so you came because uh, why you got it? So your Greek background, both sides. Yeah, yeah. So you speak Greek. Yeah. Um, any brothers, sisters? One brother. Okay. Older, about seven years older. All right. Yeah. And you missed him as well? Oh, uh, yeah, I did. <laughs> I had to think about that. But, yeah, I missed the whole – and I missed I missed Melbourne and I missed Australia, you know, just little things. Uh, it's amazing how, um, yeah, the you'd wake up at four in the morning just to watch a footy game. You know? Oh, really? You'd go out of your way to get a jar of Vegemite because it it's been sold in East uh, West London. Uh, near Shepherd's Bush, so you'd go out there and get a jar of Vegemite. 
Uh, it's it's amazing. You really you do realize that. Yeah, um, and that was interesting. At at the time, I was like, I kind of don't fit into Australia. But it wasn't until I left Australia for ten years that I realized, yeah, I am an Aussie. I, I really am Australian. You know, yeah, I've got Greek blood coursing through my veins, and I'll always be predominantly Greek. I just will. Yeah. But I was born here. Yeah, no one's hearing your accent and thinking you're <laughs> some no. proper true blue. No. But what is a real Australian? <laughs> exactly. You, know? you have That's to go back 50,000 years. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, because actually, I, I got to ask this even though um, we'll go back to the book in just a second. Because you mentioned the Woggy thing and that's how you're saying you didn't feel the Australianness until you went overseas, which I totally understand as well. Because sometimes mm. you don't feel it. and But you were like a product of a time before, like 10 years before me. So, you're like... You'd have really felt the wonkiness stuff. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I was, um, I was a little bit too. I just missed what happened in Brunswick with the Lebanese Tigers, but uh, they, they were a gang that was formed to protect all the wogs that were getting bashed by Aussies in the seventies that were coming into Brunswick. Wow, uh, I missed that. Um, but I heard all the stories, you know, that um, wogs would have their fish and chip shops firebombed by Aussies, telling them to get the fuck out. This is in the late sixties. And early seventies, um, so yeah, it's um, <laughs> Jesus. I didn't realize it was that extreme. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was. It was very extreme. They didn't want us. I mean, fuck white Australia policy. Remember that mm. nineteen sixty seven white Australia policy, except for broom because they needed wogs to get the fucking pearls out of the water because only wogs were good at it. The Japs and the Italians were brilliant at it, <laughs> so they go white Australia for everyone except broom because we need the pearl industry. So. All right, so yeah, so you would have grown up with like prop. It's funny because my parents, but they're they're stubborn old Greeks. They don't talk about anything from the past. Their life doesn't exist. Never <laughs> tell me anything about were, them. Were your up. Pa- did you, your parents migrated here, right? Yeah, yeah. They're both older. Oh, older. My mum came here when she was nineteen. Oh yes, same. Same. Okay, yeah. Yeah, exactly oh. the same. My mum was nineteen. My dad was twenty-five. Oh, they're cut from the same ilk, man. Yeah, they're very similar. Yeah. Yeah, just ten years apart. Yeah, that's why I don't sound like. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a pretentious sounding voice. <laughs> yeah, so to go back to your original point, it wasn't until I left Australia that I realized, oh, I am an Aussie. Mm. You know? Yeah, because that's when you like, because you sound like a wog here. Mm. But overseas, you sound like an Aussie. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah it, it's a very interesting experience doing a gig in England, having Poms coming up to me straight after talking about the test cricket. Yeah. And I couldn't give two fucks about cricket. Um. <laughs> But yeah, that would just engage me. But once I'd ha- I had an Aussie come up to me and he goes, oh, you're not really Aussie, are you? Oh, the accent. I'm like, yeah, I'm a wog. You got me. <laughs> the nerve of it. I know. <laughs> but he was from Brisbane, so they're kind of what, a few decades behind yeah, the rest yeah, exactly. of us. They'd still be saying that now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I, know, I, know, I do know that feeling. Um, yeah. It's weird. So you actually tried to like Aussie up your voice for a while? I was very... I was very self-conscious when I started stand-up. I didn't want to be another Greek comedian doing Genopolis jokes. So mm. I cut my name and became Katz instead of Katsoulis. Mm. And I focused on trying to change my voice so I wouldn't sound so woggy. And that, of course, starts to uh, infringe upon your freedom or degrees of freedom on stage. And, mm. and it affects your creativity and before I know it, it affects your mannerisms. You don't want to appear too woggy or dress too woggy. Um, but yeah, that's 
I don't know. I had to go through that experience, and now I'm like, I don't give a fuck. Um, well, it's funny because like a, a part of me almost thinks uh, to do the counter to that, though. It's like you could almost call it an, a character for the stage. So it doesn't necessarily have to limit you if you're like, I'm going to put on this character, which is like a bit more, I don't know, Aussie or something. Okay, in that sense, I don't know. Yeah, it could work, but I just found it was uh, just affecting me on stage overall. Mm. And it's funny you're saying like this about the accent though as well, because one thing I think uh, I feel, and to go back to the book we're talking about now with the physics, like it's a very, <laughs> it's a very complex sort of book. But even uh, any topic like that, I found with comedy, um, the more, let's say, working class you sound the less pretentious you sound, the mm. more you can get away with actually talking about stuff like this. So I feel like your accent in that sense is actually not, it's actually a benefit because people, you you don't sound as luxury when you talk about stuff like that. Maybe. Yeah, that could be a reason. But the way I diffused that was I married it to mu- taking mushrooms. So <laughs> I would take mushrooms and the audience know I take mushrooms. So already the audience have lowered their... Uh, their opinion of me because I take <laughs> mushrooms and then I can go ahead. You and really tell said them taking about- mushrooms like fifteen times just then, but yeah. So then I can tell them about physics. So what? You would always make sure to mention the mushrooms thing first. I would sell myself short to the crowd mm. that I'm a drug user, and then here's a piece of physics information. So it wouldn't come across luxury because I've told them this guy's a drug dealer. This guy's, this guy's a drug user. He's not lecturing us. He's a tripper. Yeah. yeah. And then it's, it changes the angle. Of how I'm coming at him. Uh, this book's on physics. When did you first read it? Uh, I read it back in 2008. Okay. So that's after uni. You've been doing your life for a while. Is that the yeah. first physics stuff that you kind of got into or were you into f- it before? It was the first book I was exposed to. Yeah. Physics book. Yeah. <laughs> Not book. <laughs> yes. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because like you, you, you studied law and stuff. <laughs> university and stuff. So you're not like you would have been... Uh, this information would have been coming out, but you just didn't have any interest in this side of things at all. That's correct. Right. Is that because you were like more focused English stuff when you were younger or? I just think um, it wasn't in my peripheral, I guess, just other interests at the time. Like I was doing stand-up. Um, I just finished uni, so I didn't want to pick up a book for a while or look at other pieces of information. I just wanted to focus on my stand-up. So, yeah. But um, once I read it, I was like, oh, wow, this is cool. <laughs> okay, that's pretty understated. All right, okay. <laughs> oh, no, look, I absolutely uh, fell in love with it. That was, you asked, that was the moment I fell in love mm. with um, physics because this book was, uh, had an amazing ability to talk down and, and mm. just simplify things to the layman. So all of a sudden, I was reading about all these topics and they were, it was just clicking. It made sense and it was profound and beautiful. Right, so did you have any science interest at all in anything before that? Or not no, really? I didn't. It's bizarre. Wow, that is, yeah. And I think it's just, it's a, it's, um, it just goes to show how fucked the school system is, really. <laughs> True? Well, I mean, uh, I don't think anyone's going to disagree that learning can be more fun than sometimes they manage to do it. I don't know what schooling's like now, probably, in schooling. I hope it's probably more fun now with, like, iPads and stuff. Mm. Maybe it's more entertaining. Uh, and also just the general... and. <laughs> Education has gotten more entertaining, I feel like, in the last, you know, ever since YouTube's come along and everyone's teaching everything everywhere. I feel like there's a lot more entertaining ways to teach it. I hope, I hope has influenced mm. education in schools. I don't know. But yeah, so you, so yeah, so you just, that stuff just didn't grab you until 
you started this, and then and then you just fell down this rabbit hole. Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. For like even to to this day, I'm always like uh, watching YouTube videos of the World Science Festival. They go for about two hours, and they just talk about the latest findings in physics. But of course, the World Science F- Festival um, dumb it down. It's for layman's. It's not a peer-reviewed literature piece of work that you, I can't get my head around that. Mm-hmm. But if you go to YouTube and just Google World Science Festival, they have hour-long lectures, two-hour-long lectures, where it's specifically physicists talking about the latest developments, but dumbed down and watered down for you to fall in love with. All right. And then again, that's how I, I kind of, yeah, I think there's different layers to some of this stuff, and especially when it comes to physics and quantum mechanics and stuff like that. I'd, the amount I would have to learn to probably get the more detailed stuff it's like i'm happy just to get it kind of dumbed down and get my brain blown at that absolutely. degree absolutely yeah you can't you'd have to commit to like <laughs> at least 10 years of solid study and even then like you know richard Feynman there's a famous physicist in the 60s that said if you think you know quantum physics you don't and that's mm. what he used to say to his fellow scientists so if they can't don't understand it we've got no chance but i think that was the mystery that pulled me in as well like, what is this? They don't even know what they're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Well, they they're don't. They're telling me. Well, like, got, I love they, that. Yeah, yeah. Because that's like stand-up. Well, you never really know. We don't know. We oh. don't know. We're in this pursuit of comedy. I don't know where the next joke's going to be. I don't really know how I do what I do. How do you have that moment? You just you incubate a joke, and then you go about your business, and on stage, bang, this punchline drops out of the ether. And you're like, fuck, I just married all these concepts together that I've been working on for the past three months and it's distilled into a punchline and the crowd erupt and I've just solved it. I've got it. I see as in like, so you do write on stage? Uh, I, no, I write all the time, but I vomit it all out in open mic. Yeah. And then as I keep vomiting it out over and over again, the process becomes cleaner, more refined, less yeah. words are used and it distills to a punchline. Like, for example, again, mushrooms. <laughs> All right, we're going to have to talk about the mushrooms. <laughs> that, was, that was a piece. That was just an idea. And I just riff at dumpster fire comedy for like six months. And God bless Joel for putting up with it. Mm. But it was just riffing on mushrooms, why I take them, why I think they're important, blah, blah, blah. And then over time, I kept doing it, and the crowds got more frustrated and so I realized, all right, I've got to remove words. And then eventually I got to the point where I found it on stage what I was trying to get at. Yeah, so it took a while. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. That seems like a slightly inefficient way to write it, but you've got to do it, right? Yeah, well, yeah, you've got to do it. Yeah, yeah. You, you write, but when you write, you're obviously trying to get a punchline, but you, try, you, you don't beat yourself up. I've, I've, so you just... Write about it and then reread it and put it on a whiteboard and stare at it as you're going about your day. And then you just go, oh, I've got to take this idea up on stage and you just riff on it. It sounds like you've got a very structured way of being unstructured, kind of. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a good way of putting it. And the next day, I'll listen back to the material that I, I recorded set. Mm. Every time? I try to, yeah. Wow. 80% of the time. Nice. But it'll be, you know, doing stuff like washing dishes, playing PlayStation, and then I'll press pause and go, oh, yeah, that's the bit. That's how you fucking do it, and I'll write that down. Oh, so you won't just sit there and try to listen to it intently. You'll do it while doing something else. Yeah. Oh, 
Again, that's maybe like a good way to have your subconscious doing the work instead of yeah thinking about it too much. Huh. Yeah, because someone said creativity happens when you're unplanning, you're, when you're not planned, when you, when you don't plan for it. So if you like have, okay, at 11 o'clock, I shall be creative until 12 o'clock, then I shall go do my shopping. No, no, no. So now I've like, I've broken that down. I'm like, I'll play PlayStation, I'll do the dishes and I'll have my set playing in the background. And is that, do we, we, did you always do it like that or that's kind of developed over many, many years? The last six years I've been listening back to my set because I think it's the best way forward for me. Mm. And I got spurred on by hearing Bill Burr say he, he doesn't write um, punchlines. He just takes ideas up on stage. Mm. So I've sort of got a little bit of both happening. I'll write about a topic, but when I write about a topic, I try and make it sound logical and see does it flow properly and then take it up on stage and riff on it. Mm. Yeah, try to write out. Write so you can know what you're thinking before you even get anywhere, like yeah. what's the actual structure of what you're thinking about and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so we, do, we talk about... <laughs> Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Save big money at Menards. Let the fresh air in and keep the bugs out with replacement screen for your doors and windows from AdForce. It's easy to install, durable against the elements, and comes in a variety of types to suit your needs. Repair your screens today with a roll of replacement screen on sale through May 5th. And check out more great deals happening now in our weekly flyer on Menards.com. Save big money at Okay, because you're talking about this uh, physics and stuff, and you've mentioned mushrooms as well. You don't have to go up on that. Sorry. No, no, it's interesting because, like, I uh, have a friend of mine who's very getting into uh, theories of consciousness. Um, quite a lot, quite detailed. He's going into a lot of different stuff about that, and he's like physicist approach to consciousness, not (laughs) hippie approach to consciousness, essentially. Because it really seems like, and you could be teaching me this right now. It seems like the concept of consciousness seems like almost a it is a branch of physics which is interesting, like as in why consciousness exists and why it works like that. And there seems to be a lot of fundamental, like a lot of metaphysic discussions about 
the nature of consciousness. And so is that something you've heard about? And have any thoughts on? The only thing I've heard about it is um, Brian Green, who's the author of Fabric of the Cosmos. He said in um, a podcast that consciousness is the one is the biggest mystery that physicists don't know. They just they haven't got a clue, and they can't prove, and probably will never be able to prove where consciousness resides if it's in the brain or out of the ether, and our brain is like an antenna picking it up. So How he's could like, it be that, they don't know. They well, they need proof. They need to do empirical science, and they can't because they don't know how to even begin a test to test where consciousness is coming from. They just don't know. They reckon it's. He said it's the biggest mystery. Right, that's so weird to me because isn't just the brain? It's just neurons firing and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So it's weird. But if that's if a, if a guy if a physicist of that caliber is saying that, then obviously there's some. He said the only beautiful. He said the beautiful thing that I could say about consciousness is that you have atoms, and when they click to a certain critical mass, they can realize that they're atoms. Mm. And that's it. Uh, anything else is hearsay or speculation. But all we know is that if you have atoms and you click a certain number together, you will realize that you're just atoms that have been clicked together. <laughs> that's it. That's all we got. That's all we've got. <laughs> that isn't <all> much. <laughs> it's a huge. Yeah, it's a huge fucking mystery, man. All right. Okay. That's Wow. Um, yeah. That's well, okay. So, but you, you, you're not as interested in that side of things because it is, it is quite out there. I think as a branch, it's super interesting. It's very out there. See, yeah. what I find interesting about physics, especially fabric of a cosmos, is that um, predictions were made, and then the predictions were tested, and the predictions were proved. Like, for example, uh, there was a physicist who calculated that. Oh my God, there's no such thing as empty space. You can never have empty space. There's no such thing as nothing, and that concept philosophically blew me away. So I had a vested interest. <laughs> so I read deeper. How can you not have nothing? There's no such thing. And sure enough, he proved that. Was that because of gravity? No, he just proved that with mathematics that um, space-time on a fundamental level has energy and that energy is par particles popping in and out of existence so he said that if you set up a test his name was casimir and he said if you set up this test where you suck all the air out of a box a chamber you will still have energy inside there and sure enough you do right and that's particles popping in and out of existence so he proved that you can't have empty space so it's just impossible. Kind of empty space. It's impossible. So actually, but on that note, actually, so, so you mentioned the philosophical side of things. So is that something else you've looked into? Philosophy side of stuff? Or is it, I'm just trying, I'm, I'm wondering how like. Uh... Not the philosophy, because I think it's, um, yeah, I read a book during lockdown on Aristotle on his ways to live a successful life. Mm -hmm. Right. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I thought you were going to say more. Well, it was, it was basic. <laughs> It was like, find a passion. I'm like, yeah, I know, dude. A lot of philosophy is, I know. Well, you've heard it all. Like, in, all I the good guess. stuff's filtered out through pop culture to yeah. be part of everything. It doesn't, blowing, it doesn't blow me away like physics does. Like, physics, like, nothing touches. Wow. Uh, there's no such thing as empty space. Well, black holes actually fade out and die. Oh, wow. Uh, time can actually stop. Wow. You know? Einstein, standing on a train platform with his mate, in 19, 1897 or 1898, he was 21 years old and he's chatting to his mate and he has this moment where he stares at a clock 
and it's ticking over from tick to talk. And as a child, he's always been fascinated by light. He would always imagine what it was like to be riding a beam of light, what you would see. He was always an inquisitive mind. And he had this realization, this penny-dropping moment that if he stared at the clock while he moved away from it at the speed of light, he would never see the tick move to talk because the light traveling to his eye to show him that tick has gone to talk would never catch up to his eye. Mm. So he would see the time has stopped. And it was at that moment he realized if you travel at the speed of light, time stops. And then he turned to his mate and he said, I've completely solved the problem. I'll see you in a few months. <laughs> and then he buried his head with basic algebra, which is studied in year 11, and came out with e equals MC squared and all these calculations and formulas that time actually stops and it's proven to this day. Yeah. So that was, and that is what fascinates me. Okay, so so it is a, it is a decision. Okay, that's that's ironic. So yeah, the more it's more materialistic and uh, fascinating in a uh, nuts and bolts kind of way. Yeah. So I'm interested in yeah in this book they explain where how concepts came out and how for example Schrodinger. Oh, do you know Schrodinger? Cat the cat. Guy. The cat guy. The dead cat guy. <laughs> dead dead alive cat guy. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, he had that epiphany during an orgy. <laughs> really? Yeah. He was struggling with That's his, in the book. <laughs> he was struggling with his mathematics and he was struggling in a bad marriage. So he went up to a ski chalet with a couple of girls and in the middle of an orgy um had this eureka moment and got up and scribbled on a piece of paper the wave equation. What do you mean what that's in the book? Yes. That story yes. is in the Fabric of Cosmos book. Oh, it might be in part two of Brian's book, The Elegant <laughs> Universe, because they've married together those two books. But yeah. So he's writing about it in there. Yes. That is hilarious. That sounds like a, I would have thought that was an old wives' tale. But that... uh, no, 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 yeah. Um, so that was that fascinated me as well, because this guy just worked out that um, his, his brain has developed in a classical world that if you can't... His, this is going to be very difficult for me to to say, but he basically had this epiphany that particles can exist in many places at the same time. And it's so counterintuitive. How can you have a tennis ball that stretches out in space-time and exists everywhere until you measure it? But sure enough, he found this calculation and he realized that a particle, a fundamental element of which makes up you, me, the chair, the table, everything in the universe, when you isolate it on its own, it smears out and becomes everywhere. Mm. And he had that during an orgy. <laughs> and it's That's wild. And that's why your computer works and radios work. And- okay. So this might be asking too much for uh, you and me to chat right here because it's something which has annoyed me forever. So I understand the idea of the uncertain that's not that's that's hiding or whatever but like heisenberg. heisenberg but like this is like so wait schrodinger's first right and then heisenberg uh, around the same time right but, but they're different things yeah so so schrodinger's is about like a particle moving through or a wave is that what, and then but it can be lots of different things because what i never understood is when they say you measure it and that changes it is that schrodinger uh, or is sh- that yeah schrodinger so does that mean that it, when you're saying it could be any of the any of these things, and then you measure it, and it becomes one of them, right? 
are you actually changing reality by looking at it or is it just you confirm what it is until that point? So like, you know what I mean? Like, that's what I've never understood about it. When they say like the observation changes the thingy. I never fully got that. Yeah, it's and, and that's what um, leads to the philosophical debate behind quantum mechanics. Does your consciousness affect the experiment, thereby mean are you attached, connected to... That's what I mean. And some is, it, is that what it's doing? Some scientists say yes, because they say that you... So um, me looking at it is literally changing reality. Uh, yes, because some scientists say that you cannot remove yourself from the experiment because you are in the universe with the experiment coexisting. So you can't step outside the universe and do an experiment. So if I didn't look at it, it would be all of the things at once. It's only once I look at it that it becomes... Yes. In layman's terms, if you don't look at it, a tennis ball, if it was a particle, mm-hmm. would be everywhere in the next room. Mm-hmm. It would, And we'd look on a computer now and we would see a wave function that Schrodinger came up with and the wave would have peaks and troughs. And... Those peaks and troughs are probabilities. The higher the peak, the higher the probability of the ball appearing in that corner. A low valley would mean that there's a low probability of the ball appearing in the kitchen if we open the door. Um, And when you open the door, the wave collapses into one point, and that's where the ball is when you measure it. But... It's called the superposition of states. It's existing everywhere. And that's And have they confirmed that that is the case where once you measure it is that does change it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what that and What? That's what, <laughs> it's magic. Yeah, well, yeah. It's magic. And that's that's why I had to read more. I think I need to take in, some mushrooms as well now. <laughs> I don't think I need to take any mushrooms. Now no more this. than twice a year. Okay, was that the rule? That's the rule. You don't want to go bananas. Yeah. <laughs> so, so basically, yeah, that's that's, and that's why quantum computers that they're working on at the moment, uh, a quantum computer uses that concept of the ball being everywhere in the next room um, by assigning that quantum bit both a zero and a one. It's you know how computers hmm. are binary zeros and ones. Um, a quantum computer is both a zero and a one at the same time. This is wild. And no one knows what that means, but yeah. <laughs> but Brian Green, who's a wonderful author, explained it as such. He mm-hmm. said, pretend you have a labyrinth and you tell a computer to find the exit of the labyrinth. A computer will go in and try all these different paths really fast and it'll find the exit and it'll let you know the path out of the labyrinth. A quantum computer will instantly become every single path at the same time and give you an answer much quicker. That's how good quantum computing can be. Super fast calculations <laughs> that take a computer 10,000 so years. It uses magic. Yes, it uses fucking magic. It uses magic, in other words. So you're telling me here. All right, that's what we've, we've solved magic. We've created it. Yes. How could it be all of them at once? <laughs> Oh, see, I love this because it's like this is way above my pay grade of yeah. understanding of physics, Stephen. Yeah, yeah, because on a fundamental level, that particle is existing everywhere at the same time, and then you get other physicists that are like, no, 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 no. That particle is not existing everywhere at the same time. No. 
that particle, the wave function, is showing you multiple universes <laughs> where that one particle is. And that's Hugh Everett's many worlds interpretation of quantum mechanics. Okay. So that so- every time you make a decision, the universe splits off with the choice you didn't make in this universe. Yeah. Because you are made up of particles, the same particles that exist everywhere at the same time. So because your particles <laughs> make up you and they have to follow the same rule of quantum physics, there is an infinite version of you out there in the multiverse. And it's and it's happening all the time with every decision with everyone on the planet constantly. Yes. So there's just it's literally infinite. Yes. Every second it's infinite. Like as in it's seven billion decisions being made every second basically. And each one of those then making a decision. Yeah, times two, times three, like as in so every second. It's- yeah, that's right. And then there's other physicists that get worked up and go, they're called the shut up and calculate school. Mm-hmm. And they just shut up and calculate. And they don't care what the philosophical implications are <laughs> of a particle being in many places at the same time. They just derive, they just take the answer and they use it for their benefit and they create computers, transistors. And all the, the electronic evolution, yeah. re- revolution that we saw in the 1950s and onwards. They've right. created nothing um, as precise as quantum mechanics as a scientific theory. And that's what blows me away. They're using magic yeah. to create something <laughs> that is rock solid. Yeah, that we're using all the time. All the fucking time. Yeah. That's... Like everything. It's bizarre. That, yeah, okay. That's... Well... Cool. That's, uh, I mean, I can't even get you to, yeah, yeah. I think I've got to read this. I do find, I, I am going to get more into, because philosophy and physics, it's weird how they do kind of cross-contaminate a little bit. So that's why I'm interested. That's why I was wondering if you'd done any philosophy, but no, you know, more on that side. Did you think, uh, so, yeah, I guess it's weird, this, this, this podcast, this, this show of mine, it's meant to be about why these things are the things that stick with you more than anything else. So, like, firstly, do you read any much fiction? Yes. Oh, you do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. But uh, obviously, none of it was as formative for you as maybe the first time reading something like this because it opened up a whole world to you. Well, yeah, because I think you've helped me answer the question. Two words, magic and fiction. This stuff works. It's a fact. But to me, it's magic and it smells of fiction. (laughs) You're telling me all this. I'm reading all this stuff that's jumping out of a page and it's blowing my fucking mind. Like, you know how I told you about particles popping in and out of existence? Mm -hmm. Do you know about black holes? Yes. All right. At the very boundary of a black hole, the very, very boundary of a black hole, this is what Stephen Hawking became famous for in 1974. I think I know something about black holes, but obviously I don't know anything. But yeah, but yeah um, what are you saying? Yeah. It's layman's terms. It sucks everything in. Yep. Nothing escapes, not mm-hmm. even light, mm-hmm. right? At the very boundary of an event, a black hole, it's called the, the event horizon. They go, once you cross that, you're fucked. You're gone. Mm. This is what made Stephen Hawking famous. In 1974, he goes, particles are popping in and out of existence all the time. All the time. But they annihilate each other. So right near a black hole, two particles spontaneously come into the universe out of nowhere, just the space-time. But they can't annihilate because one gets sucked into the black hole. The other one, just above, goes off into space. And that's Hawking radiation. That's leaking mass. But the particle that got sucked into the black hole is negative mass. It has a negative weight. 
So it steals weight from the black hole, shrinking the black hole. And Stephen Hawking answered the mystery, how do black holes evaporate and disappear? So he discovered that through magic, that particles just pop in out of nowhere. What do you mean? Because <laughs> the fabric of the universe <laughs> on a fundamental level has a vibration, has an energy. It's like a space foam, they call it. It's, the, it's just teeming with life, with energy. That's hilarious. There's no such thing as nothing. There's no such thing as no energy. But it makes sense because the universe is alive. It is registering a pulse. It's, it's, it's alive. Like stars are cooking atoms. We're <laughs> biological entities. And on a fundamental level, the space-time, the fabric of space itself, has to have an energy, a particle you know, popping in and out of existence. But the difference is they annihilate each other. They, they give it back to the universe and they disappear. Except for around black holes. Except for around black holes. That's so what happens to like the fact that one particle disappeared and the other one, does that mess up that particle? Is the Hawking radiation a weird kind of particle? One flies off. Yeah, so is that one, that's got is a that one damaged? Weight. Yeah, so is that different? Because that's no. the only time that's happening, right? Everywhere else in the universe, it's yeah. always got positive and negative. Yeah. So is that, does that cause anything, the fact that there's only one half of it with Hawking radiation? No, it doesn't because the universe, like an accounting balance sheet, restores order by robbing the mass from the black hole. Okay, right. So it squares the ledger. <laughs> this is so weird. It's fascinating. And, this, and, uh, <laughs> and you, you're not on shrooms. <laughs> you're telling no. me all this. <laughs> no, if I was on shrooms, I wouldn't be able to be... So eloquent. Articulate about it. Yeah, Because yeah, yeah. it's very difficult. You can understand why people will be like, well, this is tripping me out too much. Yeah, it's very trippy, and that's why I love reading about it. And that's why I can sit there and watch lectures that are aimed at lay people like myself on the World Science Festival website, um, which is just it's done for people like us who have no background just to understand it. Yeah, no, so that's, I mean, yeah, I love that stuff. So I guess, yeah. and actually, this is what I was going to ask you um, to, to relate to the learning thing as well. Actually, there's probably two more things to ask before we tie it off. One is, um, so, so yes. I was asking about philosophy, but really I should go even wider. Do you like learning stuff or is it specifically physics is the one that you are super interested in? Because like for me personally, I'm like, if anything, I've got a big problem of mine is that I'm too all over the place. I just love, love fun facts <laughs> about everything. Mm. Like that's what I'm always like with everything. So everything's interesting to me in that sense. Um, are you kind of like that? Like were you growing up, like you'd always be reading about lots of different things or is it literally, oh, physics is just like the thing. That's what you've done to answer your question uh, originally you said do i love learning absolutely in, in all facets in relationships you mean in stage on stage uh everything in all areas i love learning because it's uh i think loving learning is um essentially uh evolving as a person so yeah absolutely growing in essence but uh, yeah so that's 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 why i tried to clarify because i'm like that's good as well and that is a probably do you reckon everyone does that or do you reckon there's a lot of people who don't <laughs> I think there's a lot of people that don't, but I couldn't speak for them. But mm. me personally, um, yeah, I love to learn. Yeah, yeah. And I, yeah, especially you love when to I, grow. I love to grow. That's why we love doing open mics and you get the extra butterflies because it's a brand new piece of material and you just don't know how it's going to go. Mm. It is always fun, that. Always. Um, the, but, but uh, okay, so that's one side. Which, sorry. So it, specifically, like rather than the concept of growth, which I do think is healthy and it's great to always have that attitude. I mean, more specifically, like 
I guess didactic learning, or whatever, which is like literally study. It's a phrase a different way. It's like biology is that something like evolution. Mm. Do you read many books about that? No, but I wanted to ask you about uh, is ever like ever. I don't know much about it, um, but what is what is the driving force of evolution? Um, is well, it really just random mutations? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So it's putting okay. Like, as in, it's just... It's just th- random mutations. So, because when a tiger drinks out of a river, uh, behind its ears, it's evolved a pattern of eyes mm-hmm. so that a croc would think it's being stared at and it's being observed and it should stand down its attack. Mm. That's a random mutation, that driving force to, say, back in time to go, hey, put some eyes on your fucking ears... Because then we can have a comfortable drink of water without our fucking cousins and mates getting picked off. No, no, it's it's. What is that wonderful <coughs> driving force? To me, it has like a like a, a an awareness, a consciousness that it goes back in time to tell itself, get some white, get some eyes on your ears, so we can drink from the water. Because too many of us are getting taken by crocs. No, see, you're doing the classic uh, winner's curse sort of thing, like where you're looking at the end result and thinking that justifies what came before. All that's happening is that there's a bunch of tigers. One of them has ears which look slightly more like eyes. I and mean, we're talking about millions of years and a billion examples. So if you've got like a 5% advantage because yours looks slightly like eyes, okay. then you go down to the watering hole and the other ones get eaten and you live. And then you have kids and then of those kids, some of them have the eyes, some of them don't. And then slowly over millions of years, it filters out everyone who doesn't have it and actually focuses more on the thing that you do have. So it looks more and more like eyes okay. over a long period of time. But all right. you're doing is cutting off. So you've taken the magic out of it now. Yeah, yeah. No, there's no magic in evolution. None. Like just, in terms of that. It's, okay. There's none. It's, it's literally just uh, one of the things that someone's, which I read a while ago, because people talk about our oh, humans have stopped evolving because we don't have any um, pressures anymore. Natural selection isn't happening anymore for humans. But that's actually the opposite of what's actually happening. So natural selection is the ultimate stopper of evolution. So natural selection is basically like saying all your mutations, we're going to cut them all out all the time, apart from like one specific kind. But what's happening with humans now is that all the mutations are running rampant. So humans are evolving right now more than they've ever evolved in history of everything, just because like from a health point of view, everyone's living. So all of the mutations, whatever they are, they're piling up on all of us all the time. So Mm. like that's the thing that people don't understand about like, evolution in that sense we're passing on everything at the moment we're not stopping mm-hmm. ourselves from passing on anything while natural selection's actual job is to stop everything from passing on apart from what works to survive so arguably it's slowing down it's focusing evolution down a certain path by getting rid of all the other types so so the eye on the tiger is just it just looks like it just happens we killed to off look, all the ones that didn't it just happened to look like an eye when a crocodile was but isn't it like very perfect because you've seen the end result so what happens was when the but it could have been a lighter it could have looked like a lighter or it could have looked like anything yeah no, and then the crocodile ate that one okay so the one that was left was one that looked kind of like eyes so we're not saying it was the end result it's literally just there's the other thing people get confused about because it's seen the end result all you need was the tiger that had the most it could have been nothing like literally just a tiny bit like eyes but because of that on the huge scale we're talking about of millions of years that tiny little bit meant that it had a slight advantage over the ones around it so over time it slowly got selected and then because it had that it had kids and the ones that had it the most again if the crocodile is looking at it the one that looks the most like eyes it's not going to go for it's going to go for the one with the least like eyes so then over time it slowly actually just selects for the ones that have more and more looking like eyes so even if you've got like 10 tigers there and 
they all have kind of eyes. Mm. The one who's got the most eyes is the one least likely to get attacked if the crocodile's picking. Mm. Not that it's picking, but it's going for it, whatever. It's always going to go for the one that has like the least looking like eyes. All you right. know what I mean? So, so all you're doing is cutting them out. You just cut it out constantly. And so you have a mutation, and then you select for that mutation. And that's basically it. So that's the confusing part. You're selecting for a certain thing, but also you need the mutation to get it started in the first place. All right. So seeing as like, to, to go back to this book and yeah. going on what you just said, um, do you, where do you stand on life out there in the universe in terms of, I'm thinking you'd have to agree that there must be life out there because if we can evolve on this rock, surely there's, um, and we'll never be able to see them or catch up with them yeah. ever because they're just the vast distances to yeah. traverse. It's impossible. That's, that's a, um, yeah. But the number of galaxies alone, surely there must be evolution like this playing out on, in, in millions of worlds that yeah. we could never get to. Yeah, it's one of the things I always say, uh, I feel, uh, I feel it, I've gotten more accepting of it, I guess. But if there's one thing I kind of regret, in, just impossibility, um, there's two things probably. One is that, uh, that well, actually, one is that the future exists. <laughs> We hope. Mm. <laughs> I used to say this back 20 years ago, but like, you're going to die one day and the world's going to keep going. So like, future exists. A future you're not going to see exists. And that's kind of like, ah, that'd be cool to see. And the other one is, aliens exist. We're never going to get close to seeing them. No. But they exist and they're up there. So right now, there are like, four-footed, gaseous things. We're never going to see them. But they're there. It's the, that's, that's magic to me. That's yep. science fiction concept. But we're never going to see them because they're too far away. And I'm just curious to see with evolution what you were saying about... Um, I saw this documentary which blew my mind about how eventually we're all going to be married to technology, like, and we're going to evolve like AI slash biological beings. Do you think that's in our destiny? I don't know. It's impossible to say, right? They mm. say how the. I mean, you'd think so. so. They had this guy. They gave him a pacemaker, and he can control it through Wi-Fi. They gave this guy a Parkinson's chip in his brain, and when he gets the shakes, he can access it on his phone to release. Um, a treatment that stops him from shaking. And I'm like, fuck man, that's like, that's bio. That's like, we're biohacking. We're merging. Yeah. yeah. Cyborg. We're, we're marrying. Yeah, yeah. That's the future. But uh, that's all, that's all. I feel like that's all Dimer doesn't compare to doing any sort of uh, mental. Or do changes. you reckon it's going to be like that CRISPR program, like genetically modified human beings? Cause I think China's already, America's yeah. pointing the finger at China going, they're fucking doing it now. Yeah. I reckon they're doing it now. So if they're doing it, we have to do it. Yeah. You, you can't send your kid to school as an organic <laughs> with all these kids with Macs <laughs> in their brain. Fuck it. Your kid's got no chance. Yeah. And then it's like, what are they going to be even thinking of? Yeah. Yeah. That's a brave new world, right? Yeah. It's cool. And then all of our, our dumb learning is going to look like nothing compared to whatever they're doing. Um, yeah, that, that's, yeah, genetic engineering, that stuff seems very possible. Whether they'll be able to make it better or whether they'll just be able to select again. So, like, you're like, oh, I can select for the best versions of mm. the parents. It's like Gattaca and shit. Yeah. Um, but the next step is then, can you actually edit it? <laughs> so, it doesn't matter what the parents are, you could actually make them better. And then that, I don't know, that seems like a lot, that seems like a really hard Mm. But I don't know. We have jumped around <laughs> so much, which is cool. I mean, we did Fabric of Cosmos, so we're going to jump around a lot. Let's stop it there. Um, we, I feel like we could keep chatting all day. We could, yeah. Yeah, natures of death and stuff like that. What do you think of death? Do you die? Um, yeah, you, I th you, you definitely die. And uh, 
I think to, for I've been pushed here. I think uh, I think you fade either a into nothingness or b. I would like to think you come back, but I doubt it. Um, <laughs> like as in as another person. Yeah, I think I don't know. Look, let, let me be let me be frank. I think you just fucking die, and that's it. What do you think? I mean, I just think it doesn't matter because you you cease to exist. So the you as you are now would cease here. You'd think so. Whatever you become, whether you merge back into the great one that is all of us, or yeah, I don't think you start. You keep being you. Mm. You wake up and you're like, ah, oh, good. I don't have to do stand up set tonight. I'm too busy being a ghost and kicking back. Yeah, but it's just you know to go. Whether you die or whatever happens when you die, I'm just, I'm not sure. But I do know from everything that I've read about physics that, all right, we die, we cease to exist, but these atoms that make me up will be used again Mm. for something else, to make a tree, to make, I don't know, who knows? Yeah, who knows? But uh, yeah, your consciousness might not go on. No, (laughs) I'm gone. Yeah, you're gone. But the atoms, who knows? I got pretty intense at the end there. <laughs> but anyways, um, but yeah, no, thanks for, thanks for being on, man. It's been really fun. It's been fun. Yeah. Thanks, Cheers. Oh, you sure, do you want to give a shout out to anything? You got any f- socials or anything you want to um, shows? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, Johnny Katz, K-A-T-S, not Z, not from Caulfield, from Brunswick. Um, that's it. Look me up. I'm on Facebook. See my shows. Right. Cool. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for listening. If you want to help support this show and all the other shows we do here at Sans Pants Radio, then why not subscribe to SansPantsPlus.com? For as little as $5 a month, you could have access to a whole bunch of bonus shows and content. Once again, that's SansPantsPlus.com.